Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 97. Today's big Bible question, what does it mean to repent, and why is it important? Also, does God shoot people with arrows? So, happy Saturday, friends. Here in sunny and cold California, our shelter-in-place order has turned into a stay-at-home order, which is a little more restrictive. Uh, We've been sheltering in place now since March 18th, and staying home starts today. We're still allowed to go to the store for essential needs, and we can go for walks while maintaining social distancing from other people, but we're not allowed to go for walks with other people. Uh, there's a bit of confusing about that. So this new order doesn't change a ton of things for us. How are you guys doing all around the country and around the world with these sorts of crazy new rules here? Well, today we took a nice family walk on a trail through rolling hills near our house and had a good old time playing in trees and dry riverbeds and such. Um, it was great. Uh, we actually got to see a large goat herd that was out on uh, one of our favorite walking trails, eating down the grass, I suppose. That was kind of cool. And it's just good to get out in the sunlight. So if you're able to, I just I want to keep encouraging you to get out there, stay away from people, but get out there and walk and pray and seek the face of the Lord. And, and that will be a good thing to do for those of us who are basically quarantined right now or sort of close to quarantine. Normally today... We would focus on 1 Thessalonians for the Bible-focused passage, um, which is a great passage, but it just so happens I'm preaching on 1 Thessalonians this Sunday, so I didn't want things to be redundant for our church family, many of whom listen to this podcast. So that brings us to a fairly fascinating and a little bit unsettling passage in Psalms chapter 7. Verse 10 says this, My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who shows his wrath every day. If anyone does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has strung his bow and made it ready. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He tips his arrows with fire. So that's kind of terrifying, right? Now me, I have a pretty nice bow, but I'm not really a bow hunter. I also have some nice swords, a couple of which are, you know, honestly pretty deadly. Uh, But I'm not a knight or a samurai warrior or anything like that. So if you got word that I was coming after you with my bow and arrows, well, maybe you'd be a little bit nervous. But honestly, I'm no Robin Hood. You'd probably be fine, especially if you kept moving. I'm a little better with the sword, but there was also this one time... When I thought a a criminal was at our house and I chopped off the tip of my own toe with a sword, that's kind of a long story, but to make it a little bit short, there was a large uh, glass um, light fixture that I had set on our front porch on a chair and our dog in the middle of the night knocked it over, which made the sound of uh, shattering um, glass and I thought somebody had broken into the house. So I went and I got my sword and I pulled it And then I thought, you know what, I think I'm going to get my gun too. So I sat this unsheathed sword down in the dark hall, and I went and I got my gun, and I thought, you know, gun in one hand, sword in the other, I stand a pretty good chance against whoever's trying to break in right now. Unfortunately, coming back into the dark hall with the gun, I kicked the sword, which, you know, was pretty darn sharp and kicked a nice little chunk off the tip of my toe. So if I'm coming after you with my sword, you know, probably 50-50 chance I'll cut my own foot off or cut your foot off. 
Uh, but bottom line is, you might escape that situation pretty well too. But you know what's really scary and really unnerving and just absolutely downright terrifying? To think about God stringing his bow and thinking about aiming at you. That's just horrifying. Not only that, but he apparently has other deadly weapons, including that sword, and he tips his arrows with fire, according to Psalm chapter 7. So what in the world is going on here? So let's read our Psalms passages today, Psalms chapter 7 and 8. Then we're going to come back and talk about uh, these incredible, unsettling and disturbing images from Psalms chapter 7. So this is Psalm 7 verse 1. O Lord my God, I seek refuge in you. Save me from all my pursuers and rescue me or they will tear me like a lion, ripping me apart with no one to rescue me. Lord my God, if I have done this, if there's injustice on my hands, if I have done harm to one at peace with me, or if have plundered my adversary without cause, may an enemy pursue and overtake me. May he trample me to the ground and leave my honor in the dust. Selah. Rise up, Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my adversaries. Awake for me. You have ordained a judgment. Let the assembly of peoples gather around you. Take your seat on high over it. The Lord judges the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness and my integrity. Let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. The one who examines the thoughts and emotions is a righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who shows his wrath every day. If anyone does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has strung his bow and made it ready. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He tips his arrows with fire. See, the wicked one is pregnant with evil, conceives trouble, and gives birth to deceit. He dug a pit and hollowed it out, but fell into the hole he had made. His trouble comes back on his own head. His own violence comes down on top of his head. I will thank the Lord for his righteousness. I will sing about the name of the Lord Most High. Psalm chapter 8, verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent, or how majestic, some translations say, is your name throughout the earth. You've covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? a son of man that you look after him. You have made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. So there's some really scary stuff there at the end of Psalm chapter 7, right? Those who do not repent, God sharpens his sword, strings his bow, and you know, those fiery arrows, and gets his other deadly weapons ready. So let's talk about repenting first, because there's no way we're going to stand against uh, God arrayed like that. So what does repenting mean? The word in the Hebrew there is shub, and it means to turn back or to return. In the New Testament, the Greek word is metanoiesete, and it's the first word out of Peter's mouth in Acts chapter 2 when people respond to his message at Pentecost. When they say, 
uh, when they heard the message, they were pierced in the heart and they said, brothers, what do we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So how do we respond to the gospel? Well, first and foremost, we repent. The word there means to change your mind. So both the Old Testament and the New Testament words for repentance essentially mean to turn away from one direction and turn towards another direction. In the context of Psalm 7, to turn your mind and thinking away from sinful ways or human ways and to turn towards God's ways. As John Piper says, the Greek word for repent refers to a change of the mind's perceptions and dispositions and purposes. Repenting means experiencing a change of mind that now sees God as true and beautiful and worthy of all of our praise and all of our obedience. So let's consider a couple of other theologians and pastors and what they have to say about repentance. Tim Keller says, The first principle we see in learning about repentance is the putting off of and the putting on. We touched on it, but we have to hit it. The putting off and putting on. Putting off means stopping doing something, and putting on means to start doing something. Everybody knows that change is two-factored, right? Everybody knows that in order to turn, or metanoia, repentance means to turn, you can't turn unless you turn away. You can't turn away without turning towards something else. It's two-factored. In other words, repent is two-factored. You don't merely turn away from something wrong. You turn towards something good. Charles Spurgeon says, Repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, and a resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character, which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. And J.I. Packer, the theologian and writer, says, Repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. And as our knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. You might have noticed over the last 30 days or so that I'm talking about on this podcast repentance more and more, in fact, way more than I talked about in the first 60 days of the podcast. You know what? There's a reason for that. Almost every time I turn to God in his word and pray in the midst of this pandemic going on for the last 30 plus days, I get the word to repent from God, from his spirit, and from his word. As I've mentioned before, I certainly believe that part of that is God is calling me to personally turn away from Anything that's unpleasing to him and things that are worldly and turns towards him in this season. But I also believe that that is not just a call to me. I think it's a call going out to all people in all nations right there. And I'm very, very attuned to the call of God in his word as we read through it day by day to repent. And, and right now, more than ever, I mean, Second Chronicles 7 is a passage I learned when I was a kid in church. But I, it's never come alive, I guess, is a good way of putting it. I mean, the word of God is living and active. It's always alive. But at least for me and my heart and understanding it and taking hold of it and walking in it, it's never come alive for me right now like it, like it is in this season. And, and to remind you, Second Chronicles 7 verse 13, God says, if I shut the sky so there is no rain, 
or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people. What is pestilence? It's a sickness. And verse 14, and my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. My eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to prayer from this place. Now, I want you to understand, theologically, we see this in the Bible, that there are times that God calls his people back to him by acts of discipline. Now, this is not motivated by anger or hatred or a desire to harm. It's all motivated by grace and mercy and love. But this kind of grace and mercy and love is terrifying and it's powerful. And it's important that we understand that God will send problems on his people like pestilence and plagues and lack of rain and et cetera, et cetera, if foreign armies or what have you get them to turn to him with all of their heart. Am I saying that's exactly what's happening right now? I'm not sure yet. God knows I don't, but I am 100% sure that our response in this time is to repent and turn away from anything that hinders us and turn to him. So ponder that passage, pray it, listen to the word of God in this season and respond to the leadings of his spirit. And allow me to close this section. It'll be a longer close than normal, but with a partial message from back to John Piper on Jesus's call to repent. And he begins it by quoting from Luke chapter 13, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And Piper says the first demand of Jesus's public ministry was repent. He spoke this command indiscriminately to all who would listen. It was a call for radical inward change towards God and man. Two things show us that repentance is an internal change of mind and heart, rather than mere sorrow for sin or mere improvement of behavior. First, the meaning of the Greek word behind the English repent, metanoio, points in this direction. It has two parts, meta and noeo. The second part, noeo, refers to the mind and its thoughts and perceptions and dispositions and purposes. The first part, meta, is a prefix that regularly means movement or change. So the basic meaning of repent is to experience a change of the mind's perception and dispositions and tendencies and purposes. The other factor that points to this meaning of repent is the way Luke 3.8 describes the relationship between repentance and new behavior. In it, it says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Then it gives examples of the fruits. Whoever has two tunics is to share with one with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. This means that repenting is what happens inside of us that leads to the fruits of new behavior. Repentance is not the new deeds, but the inward change that bears the fruit of new deeds. Jesus is demanding that we experience this inner change. Why? His answer is that we are sinners. Luke 5.32 says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What was Jesus' view of sin? Well, in the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus describes the son's sin like this. He squandered his property in reckless living and devoured it with prostitutes. But when the prodigal repents, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Therefore, throwing your away your life on reckless living and prostitutes is not just humanly hurtful, it is an offense against heaven, that is, against God. 
That's the essential nature of sin. It is an assault on God. We see this again in the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He said that they should pray, quote, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, Luke eleven four. In other words, sins that God forgives are compared to the ones other people commit against us, and those are called debts. Therefore, Jesus' view of sin was that it dishonored God and put us in debt to restore the divine honor we had defamed by our God-belittling behavior or attitudes. That debt is paid by Jesus himself. The Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many, Mark 10.45. But for us to enjoy that gift, he says we must repent. Repenting means experiencing a change of mind that now sees God as true and beautiful and worthy of all of our praise and all of our obedience. This change of mind also embraces Jesus in the same way, We know this because Jesus said, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God. Seeing God with a new mind includes seeing Jesus with a new mind. No one is excluded from Jesus' demand to repent. He made this clear when a group of people came to him with news of two calamities. Innocent people had been killed by Pilate's massacre and by the fall of the Tower of Siloam in Luke 13. Jesus took the occasion to warn even the bearers of the news, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In other words, don't think calamities mean that some people are sinners in need of repentance and others aren't. All need repentance, just as all need to be born anew, because that which is born of the flesh is merely flesh, John 3, 6. So all must repent because we all are sinners. When Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance in Luke 5.32, he did not mean that some persons are good enough to not need repentance. He meant that some think they are good enough to not need repentance, and others have already repented and have been set right with God. For example, the rich young ruler desired to justify himself while the tax collector beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner and went down to his house justified by God. Therefore, none is excluded. All need repentance, and the need is urgent. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What did he mean by perish? He meant the final judgment of God would fall on those who don't repent. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus, the Son of God, is warning people of the judgment to come and offering escape if we will repent. If we will not repent, Jesus has one word for us, woe to you, Matthew 11, 21. This is why his demand for repentance is part of his central message that the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, says Mark 1, 15. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel, the good news, is that rule of God has arrived in Jesus to save sinners before it arrives at his second coming in judgment. So the demand to repent is based on the gracious offer that is present to forgive and on the gracious warning that someday those who refuse the offer will perish in God's judgment. After he had risen from the dead, Jesus made sure that his apostles would continue the call for repentance throughout the world. He said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, Luke twenty four forty six through 47 So the demand of Jesus to repent goes to all the nations. It comes to us wherever we are and whoever we are and lays claim on us. This is the demand of Jesus to every soul, repent. 
be changed deep within, replace all God-dishonoring, Christ-belittling perceptions and dispositions and purposes with God-treasuring, Christ-exalting ones. Oh yes, one more question for us to consider today on the Bible Reading Podcast. Does God shoot people with arrows? I believe this passage in Psalm 7 is employing poetic language to communicate that God vigorously pursues people and calls them to repent. Does he literally shoot people with arrows? Well, let's just say this and use the language of the Bible in Hebrews 10, 30-31, where it says, For we know the one who has said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let us, my friends, consider the power of the Lord, the vastness of the Lord, and his feelings and inclination towards sin. And rather than pursuing sin and the desires of the flesh, let us quickly, in the fear of the Lord and recognizing the mercy of the Lord, turn to him with fasting and weeping and mourning with all of our heart in this time. And let us, whatever land you live in, let us cry out to him in repentance to heal our land. Continuing in Leviticus chapter 7 verse 1. Now this is the law of the guilt offering. It is especially holy. The guilt offering is to be slaughtered at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered and the priest is to splatter its blood on all sides of the altar. The offerer is to present all the fat from it, the fat tail, the fat surrounding the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat on them at the loins. He will also remove the fatty lobe of the liver with the kidneys. The priest will burn them on the altar as a fire offering to the Lord. It is a guilt offering. Any male among the priests may eat it. It is to be eaten in a holy place. It is especially holy. The guilt offering is like the sin offering. The law is the same for both. It belongs to the priest who makes atonement with it. As for the priest who presents someone else's burnt offering, the height of the burnt offering he has presented belongs to him. It is the priest's. Any grain offering that is baked in an oven or prepared in a pan or on a griddle belongs to the priest who presents it. It is his. But any grain offering, whether dry or mixed with oil, belongs equally to all of Aaron's sons. Now, this is the law of the fellowship sacrifice that someone may present to the Lord. If he presents it for thanksgiving, in addition to the thanksgiving sacrifice, he is to present unleavened cakes mixed with olive oil, unleavened wafers coated with oil, and well-kneaded cakes of fine flour mixed with oil. He is to present as his offering cakes of leavened bread with his thanksgiving sacrifice of fellowship. From the cakes, he is to present one portion of each offering as a contribution to the Lord. It will belong to the priest who splatters the blood of the fellowship offering. It is his. The meat of his thanksgiving sacrifice of fellowship must be eaten on the day he offers it. He may not leave any of it until morning. If the sacrifice he offers is a vow or a free will offering, it is to be eaten on the day he presents his sacrifice, and what is left over may be eaten on the next day. But what remains of the sacrificial meat by the third day must be burned. If any of the meat of his fellowship sacrifice is eaten on the third day, it will not be accepted. It will not be credited to the one who presents it. It is repulsive. The person who eats any of it will bear his iniquity. Meat that touches anything unclean must not be eaten. It is to be burned. Everyone who is clean may eat any other meat. But the one who eats meat from the Lord's fellowship sacrifice while he is unclean, that person must be cut off from his people. If someone touches anything unclean, whether human uncleanness or an unclean animal or any unclean aberrant creature, and eats meat from the Lord's fellowship sacrifice, that person 
is to be cut off from his people. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites, You are not to eat any fat of an ox, a sheep, or a goat. The fat of an animal that dies naturally or is mauled by wild beasts may be used for any other purposes, but you must not eat it. If anyone eats animal fat from a fire offering presented to the Lord, the person who eats it is to be cut off from his people. Wherever you live, you must not eat the blood of any bird or animal. Whoever eats any blood is to be cut off from his people. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites, the one who presents a fellowship sacrifice to the Lord is to bring an offering to the Lord from his sacrifice. His own hands will bring the fire offerings to the Lord. He will bring the fat together with the breast. The breast is to be presented as a presentation offering before the Lord. The priest is to burn the fat on the altar, but the breast belongs to Aaron and his sons. You are to give the right thigh to the priest as a contribution from your fellowship sacrifices. The son of Aaron who presents the blood of the fellowship offering and the fat will have the right thigh as a portion. I have taken from the Israelites the breast of the presentation offering and the thigh of the contribution from their fellowship sacrifices and have assigned them to the priest Aaron and to his sons as a permanent portion from the Israelites. This is the portion from the fire offerings to the Lord for Aaron and his sons since the day they were presented to the Lord as priests. The Lord commanded this to be given to them by the Israelites on the day he anointed them. It is a permanent portion throughout their generations. This is the law for the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the ordination offering, and the fellowship sacrifice, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day he commanded the Israelites to present their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 1. A good name is to be chosen over great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord makes them all. A sensible person sees danger and takes cover, but the inexperienced keep going and are punished. Humility, the fear of the Lord, results in wealth, honor, and life. There are thorns and snares on the way of the crooked. The one who guards himself stays far from them. Start a youth out on his way, even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. The one who sows injustice will reap disaster, and the rod of his fury will be destroyed. A generous person will be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Drive out a mocker, and conflict goes too. Then quarreling and dishonor will cease. The one who loves a pure heart and gracious lips, the king is his friend. The Lord eyes The Lord's eyes keep watch over knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the treacherous. The slacker says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the public square. The mouth of the forbidden woman is a deep pit. A a man cursed by the Lord will fall into it. Foolishness is bound to the heart of a youth, and a rod of discipline will separate it from him. Oppressing the poor to enrich oneself and giving to the rich both lead only to poverty. Listen closely, pay attention to the words of the wise, and apply your mind to my knowledge, for it is pleasing if you keep them within you, and if they are constantly on your lips. I have instructed you today, even you, so that your confidence may be in the Lord. Haven't I written you for thirty sayings about counsel and knowledge, in order to teach you true and reliable words, so that you may give a dependable report? To those who sent you, don't rob a poor person because he is poor, and don't crush the oppressed at the city gate, for the Lord will champion their cause, and will plunder those who plunder them. Don't make friends with an angry person, and don't be a companion of a hot-tempered one, 
or you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Don't be one of those who enter agreements, who put up security for loans. If you have nothing with which to pay, even your bed will be taken from under you. Don't move an ancient boundary marker that your father set up. Do you see a person skilled in his work? He will stand in the presence of kings. He will not stand in the presence of the unknown. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Thank you, God, for Jesus, your Son, who indeed rescues us from the wrath that is to come. Friends, may the Word of God build you up. May the Spirit of God fill you and turn your hearts and eyes away from anything unworthy to that which is of ultimate worth. God the Father, God the Spirit, and the Lord Jesus Christ, may He bless you richly this week and this day. God bless you and Godspeed.